Come gather round people wherever you roam And admit that the waters around you have grown And accept it that soon you'll be drenched to the bone If your time to you is worth saving Then you better start swimming or you'll sink like a stone Or the times they are a-changing It's time to vote. Seriously, Tuesday is a big day for voters in Anderson County, and it's time to talk about who's doing what to make Anderson County a better place. Right here on the Anderson Reserver Podcast, news from people you trust. It has been another great week in Anderson. The weather has been, again, it's gone from ugly to dangerous to beautiful and frosty in less than five days. Hey, welcome spring, and also welcome spring break for a lot of you. The northern part of the county is still suffering from severe drought, and the rest of Anderson County is in moderate plus status, so if you've seen the lake levels, you're probably not surprised by that. And we still need more April showers, but next time without the storms that blew through this week. I know Honeypath and down around that way really got pounded the other night in the middle of the night by that storm, and a couple of tornadoes were um, verified, and I'm glad nobody was hurt. And if you missed it over the weekend, the South Carolina chili cook-off in Belton, wow, you you, you couldn't uh, have had better weather. Uh, you need to put it on your calendar for next year. Big crowds, perfect weather, great music, a lot of great food, not just chili. Matt Lusk, who organized the whole event, did a great job again pulling this one off. He was terrific. Appreciate all his hard work as a volunteer in the community in that. So if you see him, say thanks. Also brought the Color Me Pink Run, which is the first uh, the, the first of that event. And I think they're going to try to do that annually. It was a fundraiser for the Cancer Association of Anderson. Our community is fortunate to have such an organization taking care of Anderson County folks and their families that are facing cancer. And I talked to Executive Director Angie Stringer, who has been on the Anderson Observer Podcast, knows from people you trust, many times before. But this week was the first time we had to catch up after her first year as Director of the Cancer Association of Anderson. Talking to Angie Stringer, um, the is it Executive Director? Executive Cancer Director. Association? Okay. Yes. Well, once you're President, Big Cheese, <laughs> Chief. Gopher. <laughs> Dishwasher. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. The executive director, director for the Cancer Association of Anderson is about six jobs, right? Yes, yes, it is. But that's a good thing. It is. What's been going on? Uh, you've been here over a year now. I know, but executive it's flown director. by. It's flown by. I'm, I'm still thrilled to be here. Uh, this organization, I can honestly say, coming from the other side of it, makes such a huge impact in this community. Um, the people that come through our doors are people who usually are very devastated. They've just gotten horrible news. They are reeling from what am I going to do? What does this mean for my family? How am I going to pay for this? How am I going to get where I need to get? How am I going to keep working? How am I going to pay my bills? All those things are going through your mind. And it's like a deer in the headlights. You mm-hmm. really don't know what to expect. You it's, it's a moment of uncertainty like you can't even imagine. And... This organization, like I said, was here for me. And I was going to say, to remind people, I mean, you knew about it. You're not just somebody they hired to to run a good organization. And there's nothing wrong with people when they do that. Yeah. But you, you, you understood a lot about it way before from yes. the other side. Yes. In 2013, I was running around the way I always did in my life, doing things. And um, I was working for Anderson County. And we had just finished our largest event. It was an outdoor concert, Celebrate Anderson, one of my favorite things that we do here in the community. And we had just finished. I was a little more tired than I had been, and I kind of chalked it up to I'm getting older. Um, But 
it was about a week later, and I found a lump, and it just concerned me. I had that that bad feeling that you get that something's not right, and so I called my doctor and went in, and immediately they had me come in. I had a mammogram, then I went back for an ultrasound, then I went for a biopsy, then MRI, and at every turn, I knew more and more. I had more certainty that this was not looking good. So I went and had surgery. They told me it was cancer, and I went and had surgery, and uh, they uh, diagnosed me with HER2 breast cancer. And uh, I went through almost 15 months of chemo, um, lost my hair, changed everything. But the first day that I found out that I got the news, the wonderful, sweet breast navigator over at AnMed Health, Pat Eberhardt, looked at me and said, are you familiar with the Cancer Association of Anderson? And I said, yes, I am. And she said, go there now. And I said, well, I will. She said, no, you go there right now. Don't go home. And she looked at my mom and my husband, who were still reeling from the news, and said, go there before she goes home. And so I came over here, very familiar with the building. I had done, been involved with several fundraisers. As a matter of fact, our bike race that we always did on Labor Day raised money for the Cancer Association. So, you know, I came over here and sat down on the chair uh, across from the desk that uh, our site manager sits at now and, um, and was kind of deer in the headlights myself, you know. I, I was thinking about my family, wondering what was going to happen. And, you know, I had great insurance, and you think, oh, I've got good insurance, I'm covered, you know, no problem. But cancer has a way of blowing everything out of the water. It doesn't fit into any rules at all. Um, it attacks who it wants to, uh, wreaks havoc on your life, your family, and your finances. And after the first month, you're going to, to the doctor three and four times a week. And every time you walk into the door, it's a different doctor. They're saying, oh, there's a deductible or there's a copay, 175, 150, 50, you know, and you're, you're broke. And so one of the things that Lynn said to me was, um, we're going to be here with you. We're going to walk through this journey with you. And if you ever have questions, if you ever need comfort, if you ever need help, we're here. And I'll, we're only a phone call away, or you can pop in here anytime you want to. And in the meantime, if you need help with your mileage, getting back and forth, if you need help with prescription medications for pain or nausea, if you need a wig, if you need a hat, anything, you call us. And I was just really given a lot of comfort from that because I knew that there were people who had gone before me that were involved here that could help me understand what was going on. Catherine Smith, who had been the founder of this place, you know, who reached out to me. Um, Chrissy Adams. Well, and Catherine founded it out of her own battle with yes. cancer. So, yeah. Yes. So this place was built out of love. Uh, Dr. and Dr. Malik, Ravinder and Rajiv, um, their love for people and their determination to help people in this community. This this building is is really a labor of love, and it's it's just I feel so honored to be here. Um, but I, I went through my battle and uh, went back. I was working. I managed to work. I had uh, Rusty Burns was my boss, and uh, 
he had been through that battle with family members before, and so he understood, and he was right there with me telling me to go home and work from home, stay away from the germs, and he was very supportive, and I was very grateful for that. Um, So when I got to the end of that battle, um, I was back in the swing of things working, and someone called me and said, did you realize they're looking for a director? And I said, I can't do that. <laughs> and um, kind of brushed it off. And by the end of the week, I had probably 10 people coming up to me saying, you need to apply for that job. And it culminated one night when I ran into Carol Burdett. And she leaned over and said, have you applied for that job? And I said, well, and she said, if you don't, I think I'm going to bop you over the head. <laughs> and I took her to heart, and I applied, and so um, went through a process. Uh, we had a wonderful chairman, Tina Jury, who is uh, one of the vice presidents at ANMED, and she went through everything very systematically and, you know, and um, had a lot of uh, conversations with her, a lot of conversations with the board, and, um, and I basically told them, you know, this place meant a lot to me. And I wanted to, I wanted to really um, give back, and so the rest is history. I, I took the job, accepted it on uh, uh, January eighteenth in twenty sixteen, and we've been here. We've been very busy. We've been growing some programs, trying to um, really uh, nail down and cement some revenue streams to come in because the people we help. Our patients are the most important thing. And to be able to have those funds to help them when they come here in need is the number one goal. And to be there and be an emotional support. So we've had some really great things happen. We're, we're yeah, working what's new? on... What's, what's new? Well, we're working on building our survivorship program up. Um, you know, you, you go through cancer, and it's kind of like if... The only way I know how to describe it, Greg, is if um, you gear up for Christmas and you buy all the gifts and you do all this stuff and then Christmas is over and the gifts are unwrapped and the paper's everywhere and you're going, what do I do now? And there's this letdown. Well, there is after cancer. You've, you've been concentrating so hard on, on getting to the end of that treatment and getting you know to where you can put it behind you a little bit. But cancer's never completely behind you. It... You don't let it define you. That That's my big thing is don't let it, I will not let cancer define me. But at the same time, it molded me and changed some things about me. There's things about me that are different than, I, I'm different than I was in 2000, in, in August of 2016. I'm different now. I, I don't I don't waste time on things that don't matter. I'm, I'm still learning on some of that, but... Um, I try to jump in and do the things that I know I want to do because none of us are promised tomorrow. And the interesting thing about that, and I tell some of our patients when they come in, is uh, nobody is promised tomorrow. The gift that you can take away from cancer is that we realize that a lot more than other people might because you don't take life for granted. Well, survivors, um, this is just a question. Um, do you, is it always in the back of your head every time you start feeling bad that the cancers come back? Or is that, I mean, is that part of the whole process of being in the survivor? Because I, I don't understand much about that. Yes, that is. Um, you never, you never completely, I mean, I was pretty upbeat through my treatment. I knew I was going to get through it. But, you know, whenever I go back, I go back every six months and have blood work. And the night before, I will catch myself. It's not a conscious thing, but my stomach will be in knots. 
Um, it's just the memory, and I think your body knows that, and subconsciously it's like, oh, you know. Um, I think people who have battled cancer, that is a constant uh, reminder. It, it's always in the back of your mind. If you have an ache that doesn't seem right, if you wake up and you're not feeling good, it's like, mm, no, no, I'm, I'm going to reject that. I'm not, you know. But I think it's it's a struggle, and I think a lot of people struggle with it more than others. Um, but part of survivorship is embracing the changes in your body and in your life and going from there and living from that point with enthusiasm and with um, making every moment count. And there's some things that we do that we try to help people with. We're trying to build our program where we offer things like art therapy. We're working right now with uh, uh, uncorked artists to do um, aroma art therapy um, with some of our patients. And with some of, we've, we've also incorporated a new program called Mom and Dad Forever. Um, they came to us because it's such a natural fit for our organization. Um, the people that battle cancer, not everybody ends up with the same result. We have patients that come through and they beat it. Um, we have patients that have battled it numerous times. We have patients that come through and either, you know, they had a late diagnosis or something and, and they, they're not going to survive on this side, you know, um, at those points, some of them are young, and they have young children. They have children under the age of 20. And Mom and Dad Forever, um, we have a wonderful coordinator. Her name is Stephanie Fielding. She's a, a research oncology nurse at ANMED. And she's gone through the battle with her brother a long time ago. And so she knew what was missing, you know, and looked at those pieces and put together this program to help patients who have a terminal disease put together lasting memories and mementos for their children that will be with them forever. Um, we had a case that you may have seen in the newspaper um, last Memorial Day. We had a patient, when I first came on board, she was 34 years old, her name was Amber. She had two children, one nine and one 11, little boy and little girl. And she had come here and was coming to us, had breast cancer. And during the time she was being treated, it metastasized, and it got very bad. And the doctors basically told her, there's not really anything we can do but keep you comfortable. And so Stephanie stepped in, and we worked with her. to. We took her fishing with her family and created a video for the family of her laughing and smiling and having fun with the family. Um, Stephanie worked with uh, her to put together a quilt from some T-shirts uh, scrapbooks and things like that that her children, we were able to give to her children after her passing, which was just, it was something that they'll be able to cherish for a long time. And uh, Mom and Dad Forever is a great program, and it helps us to further help those patients that need something, you know, in the community that we can help and help their families survive and go on. Surviving, talking about survivors though, the, the survivor rates are getting better, right? Yes, yes. I mean, that's the good news. If somebody is listening to this and they've just heard, hey, you've got blank cancer, you know, 
that used to be like that's the end, you know, oh, get, yeah. get your get your will in order, you know. Right. But now survival rates are going up. Is that yes, correct? I've that's seen correct. Yeah. That's correct. And and the thing is, um, people are getting tested sooner. They're they're getting and and I would encourage everybody. I mean, um, I found a lump and went in. Um, I was just past the time I should have gone in for my mammogram, but not too far. Get your mammogram. Um, get your prostate checked. You know, get everything checked. If you have odd symptoms, check the symptoms. They're, you know, they're pretty easy to find. Um, you can you can check the American Cancer Society's site for information on what's available out there on diagnosis and just symptoms to look for. Um, but Early diagnosis is the key. Um, don't let something go on and, and let it nag you and, and because that's where you really can get in trouble, um, putting things off. So don't put anything off, uh, not your testing and not your symptoms, and then definitely don't put off anything you want to do in life anyway. But um, I think that's the key is early diagnosis. And that's part of y'all's goal is to get the education out about that as well and let people know. Yes, and to let people know. Before they have to come here. That yeah, that, that's, that's the key. If we can get people out there knowing what's, you know, what's going on with their body and making sure they're getting tested and making sure they're getting their mammograms and they're going for their regular checkups, then the cancer rates are going to go down. And nothing would make me happier than to work myself out of a job. Wouldn't that be great? Um, I'd have to find another job again, which would be, you know, a great thing. But um, unfortunately, cancer is a sly and uh, stealth enemy. And so we, we have to be vigilant about it. And um, so this place is just, it's an amazing place. And we try to work with resources in the community. We have patients from all over the county that come here. And I will say this, you know, a lot of times people talk, talk about shopping local buying local, spending local. Well, we are local. We are the only local cancer organization in Anderson County, and that's who we help. We ask two questions when people come through the door. We ask, number one, you're in active cancer treatment, and number two, you live in Anderson County. Our funds stay here, and they go to help patients and residents that live in this, in this county. Well, for people who don't know, and I'm talking about total all services, everything y'all do, how many people would y'all serve in an average year? Like this past year, roughly, do you know roughly how many people? Yes, I do. As a matter of fact, I have exact numbers. Um, Our contacts, our patient contacts, the number of people who have called, come in, had whether it's information, whether it's a wig, a hat, um, or whether and a wig and a hat, you say a wig or a hat, that's a big deal. It is a very big you deal. Know, you, when you, you know people talk about, you know, because first of all, wigs and hats are expensive. They are. All, you have, y'all have a room full of them where people can come. And yes, they can come in and they can try wigs on. We have one lady who's a volunteer who's a cancer survivor herself that will come in and work with them to help them, like if they want to use scarves or hats, she'll work with them to help them tie the scarves and things like that. And she'll help them find a wig. She also is certified um, to help them, like breast cancer patients, to uh, be fitted with a prosthesis or a specialty bra. So we have her on that she comes in and helps as a volunteer to give back to do that. But yeah, wigs and hats are a big deal. But if you come through the door, what we do is we tell you exactly what we do and what our services include. And what we do is we provide up to $1,000 a year in financial assistance for treatment-related expenses. Now, that can include 
Um, travel to and from your treatment, we do mileage reimbursement. So if you live in Williamston, for example, and you're coming to treatment three times a week, which we have several patients that do, we reimburse your mileage so that you have a little bit of money to put gas in your car so you can get back and forth because that is a huge concern. There are a lot of people who they're paying for the treatment and they don't have money to get to their treatment because they're out of gas. So it's a big deal. So we do that. Also, we have a couple of patients right now who don't have transportation. Either they can't drive because they're in treatment or they don't have a vehicle. And there's this wonderful thing that you've probably heard of called Uber. <laughs> and we, we will send Uber to pick them up and take them to their appointment. We have uh, three patients right now who are going at least three times a week, and we're Ubering them back and forth to their appointments. Um, so that's a big deal. Now, if you were to say need to see a specialist, like if you have a, a cancer and it's something that's um, – there's a specialty either at MD Anderson or MUSC or Charlotte. We can help with that expense as well. And we, we do. We send patients. We pay for their travel to Charlotte, to Charleston, to um, MD Anderson, to specialty clinics that can deal with what they're dealing with and can help them. Um, we have several that go numerous times back and forth because that's the place that's the specialty for the particular cancer they have. Um, we also help with prescription medication, and people don't realize how much that can add up. But when you're going through chemo, you're sick. I mean, I went through nausea medis medicine like crazy because nothing's worse than that sick feeling in the pit of your stomach. Well, we have um, accounts with two pharmacies in town, and when that prescription's written, we actually have accounts with them where they can call and say, so-and-so is here, and they have a prescription for this, for pain or nausea or whatever, and we'll approve the charge so they get their prescription right then um, once they're signed up with us. Uh, we also help with, like, specialized home equipment. A lot of times we have people that will say, I'm better now. I've got a shower chair. I'm better now. I have a wheelchair. I want to donate it to you. So we'll have those things. If we don't have them, we work with Touch the Future or Home Health Care to get the equipment that they need, whether it's a shower chair, whether it's uh, equipment that they need for whatever. you know. So we work with them to do that, and we'll pay for that. Uh, a lot of patients, when they're sick, you lose weight because you can't keep things down or you, nothing tastes good, we pay for nutritional supplemental drinks like Boost or Insure or something like that. We'll take care of that. We also pay for, um, at the end of your treatment, when you get to the point you're, you're, you lose a lot of muscle mass, you lose a lot because you're not doing very much, you don't have any energy, we like for patients to gain their strength back. So we pay for eight weeks of oncology rehab at Life Choice. And all we do is we get the doctor's order, and we will pay for that, for them to go and work with a physical therapist. There's um, medical specialists around them, so if they get in trouble, somebody's there um, to help them. And what the physical therapists do is help them do the right thing, work out correctly to build the muscles that they need to build, no matter where the cancer was, to help them get their strength back. We also help, and this is something a lot of people don't realize, but it's very much needed today. Um, we spent about $30,000 last year paying insurance premiums for people. If you're working, and unfortunately a lot of teachers deal with this, you're working 
and then you use all your sick leave and you don't have the money and you're not getting a paycheck because you're not working and you have other expenses at the time so you can't pay that premium to stay covered we step in and pay that premium so that you can keep your insurance because I can't imagine the horror of being in the middle of cancer treatment and then losing your insurance. So that's something that we're able to do. And like I said, $30,000 last year went to patients to pay for insurance. So that is a big thing we do. And then like we talked about the wigs, the hats, the breast prosthesis, the the bras that are specialty, anything like that. Those things are very expensive. If you go buy a prosthesis bra for a breast cancer patient, um, you're looking at, with just the bra itself, $100, $150, and then the prosthesis could be $2, dollars $275, $300. And we have a really good um, relationship with a couple of places that provide those, and they give us their overstock, so we have a good selection. And if we don't, we work with them to get what they need to fit. So we also provide educational resources, um, we try to go speak to churches and to civic groups, and I'm always available to do that. Um, my, my thought is, Greg, that uh, when you're out and you're telling people what we do, um, the money will come in because uh, people realize. And, and I shared with you earlier when you came in a letter we got from a former patient that had come through. He'd gone through probably three years ago and uh, had gotten... He's on the survivorship end now, doing great, and uh, wrote us a check for $1,000 to thank us for being there when he, was, when he needed us the most. And a lot of our money that comes in comes from that. We don't get money. We get no money. Okay, I'm going to talk to you more about money in a second. Okay. But we, you didn't give me a number still, though. Oh, the number. I'm sorry. I, all, I got off on Chase the Rabbit. All yes. things y'all do. 2,369 patient contacts last year. And out of those contacts, 432 were brand new diagnosis of cancer. So 432 of our patients last year that we helped were newly diagnosed. They came to us. They'd never been diagnosed before. It was a new diagnosis. But out of all the people we helped with whatever was 2,369 in our county. I mean, you know, and there's a lot more that don't know we're here. There's a lot more that, um, you know... Word of mouth is amazing. We can do rack cards. We can put information. We're trying to get out to the schools. We're trying to get out to the churches and say, hey, we're here. We're a resource. If you hear somebody, send them to us. Um, That's important. But people that listen to your podcast, people that know about us, running into somebody. You'd be amazed at how many people that come through the front door that say, my neighbor told me I needed to come see y'all because I was diagnosed with cancer last week. Um, so we're trying to fill in those gaps and get the word out that we're here. Because community support is the only way y'all stay open. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. We get we get no funding from, you know, I mean, it, American Cancer Society is a great organization. They have a great mission. But their mission is not to help the people on the ground in the community. I mean, they don't give money to us. They do research, which we hope and pray they find a cure. But they're not going to help you pay your prescriptions. They're not going to help you get through your treatment. Um, That's where our mission comes in. So we don't get money from Relay for Life, and we don't get money from the American Cancer Society. We get our money through events that we're doing on the ground, like the Concert of Hope that we do every year, the Girlfriend's Tea, 
um, our Heroes of Hope Gala that we have to honor somebody in the community that's made a difference, and our Color Me Pink run that's coming up. Yeah, let's April talk about 8th. that for a minute because okay. I do. Uh, let's, one more thing before you get away from that, and then we'll talk about Color Me Pink run. Uh, there are community. There's some businesses and stuff that have stepped up and helped. I know you've told me stories about people that you know you've asked what kind of discount they just did things for the mm-hmm. for the building here and for other things, and so kind of the corporate thing's important too individuals are very important but so the local businesses can yes well one thing i try and and anytime i can get an audience with some with a company um i love to tell them you know we for example i'll give you right now we have um three patients that work at bosch we have four plus patients that work at michelin right now Every one of those patients represents a potential $1,000 that we are putting into that employee's health and helping them get through this. So when companies do fundraisers or they turn around and say, hey, we're going to give to you, or um, they do a, a day at work where people donate or something like that, it ends up going back to them because we're helping their, pay, their employees get better, you know, and, and to stay healthy financially, you know. So anything that we can get in and talk to, anytime we can get in and talk to companies about what we do and to be a resource for them because my whole thing is we need to let them know we're here. If somebody comes into Anderson County and goes into the HR office and says, look, I'm going to be out of work because I've been diagnosed with cancer, and I've taken, fortunately, I have a little bit of contact at Anderson County, so I've taken some of our information cards down there, some of our brochures, so that hopefully when they walk in the door, they can say, well, you know what, when you leave here, you go over and you talk to the Cancer Association, they can help you. That's what I want to happen in every business, in every company, small or large, in Anderson County, is that they know we're here, and that they'll tell their employees, when you need us, go see us now the other side of that is then you got to have the money to fund what you're doing yeah and let's let's remind everybody to to provide a thousand dollars in services it takes a thousand dollars yes it does That's how people somehow don't understand the, the formula it says a thousand dollars worth of services at the cancer association anderson cost a thousand dollars that's right and we we negotiate believe me we get on the phone and um we we had uh we'll have somebody come in with a prescription for a medication that's a thousand bucks, you know, and we'll get on the phone and call and talk to all the pharmacies and say, what can you do? Um, we also work with one of the finance advisors at AnMed that works with patients and we'll call her and say, hey, we've got this. Is there any kind of scholarship? Is there any funding or grant money out there for this drug? And she'll work with us to find what we find so that we can afford to help pay for it and not exhaust their expenses. So, yeah, $1,000, it takes $1,000. And we can work and try to get as much and squeeze that penny as much as we can, but it's still 1000 bucks. And as you mentioned earlier, one of the ways you do it is through events. So you so, want to give a shout-out to any of your sponsors for it? Yes. I, You know, I can't say enough about Edward Jones. Edward Jones and our community, they're amazing, and they have been a partner with the Cancer Association for a number of years, and they just keep raising the bar with us, and they're there with us all the time, and they help us out with events, with people, 
and they give us money, which really is amazing. And I'm very grateful to them. So they're one of our big sponsors. Um, AMED Health helps us. They give us some money during the year, and uh, we, you know, work with them. And they have they'll send out our information to let everybody know what we're doing, and that's good. And they're great partners with us. Um, also, Ronnie Cole has stepped up. He's providing the water and. And he's given us a little bit of money to help with that, too. So we're excited about that. Um, Jason Nixon with the city has come out, and he's done a lot. He was even one of our coaches for uh, the Run This Town. We did a Run This Town to build up to get people ready for 5K and 10K. So he's done an amazing job in first flight uh, with that to help us get the word out on the race. And then uh, Roger Dixon has helped tremendously and, of course, I can't say enough about Anderson County. They've been such a supporter to us um, since I've been here. Um, and I'm very grateful to them and to Rusty and uh, what what they do for the Cancer Association, helping us. Like, whenever we need anything, I've I've called. We had some electrical issues, and I called and said, who can we, who can we get to help us? And so uh, between uh, Rusty and, and Mr. Tommy Dunn and, and all, they got us hooked up, and, and we were able to get somebody to come out, a wonderful company in this town. Uh, Isom Electric came out, and they did it for us for free, and um, I'm grateful to them. So all those things go into... Yeah, we do, we do, and people are just always generous, and they give, and I'm, I'm very grateful for that. We've got a church group coming out this Saturday that are going to help us sand and paint some of the, uh, the stoop on our back, steps back there and um so you can always use volunteers we can always use volunteers phone number give me two or three things before we get wrap this up give, okay give your phone number okay 222-3500 that's so easier it yeah, is I can remember that and is there facebook or website where do you want people to go to your phone we have it's uh cancer association anderson.org or if you want the shorter one it's ca anderson.org and both of them come to the same website and, so and Facebook can, if they forget. Oh, definitely Facebook. You can look us up, Cancer Association, and we'll pop up. And if they want to come see the place, tell everybody where you are and when y'all are open and all that kind of stuff. We are on 215 East Calhoun Street in a lovely white home that is provided to us for a whopping $207 a month by Rajiv and Ravinder Malik. They're very grateful. Uh, we're very grateful to them for what they provide us with having a place to have our services. So 215 East Calhoun Street is where we are. We're here Monday through Thursday from 8.30 to 5. And then we're here Friday from 8.30 to noon. And so, and you can call if there's another time you need to come in. Uh, we can set it up to meet you here at a different time. So if anybody has... Anderson County relatives, friends have cancer, or if they just want to find out more about it and maybe find out if their church or civic organization can volunteer, come by and see or give you a yes. call instead of time. Yes, 222-3500. Uh, well, there's other good news again this week on the economic front. Uh, Coca-Cola over in Piedmont, if you remember, they opened a marketing area there and they hired 150-some-odd jobs. Now they're adding 44 more jobs. Average salary of those jobs close to $22 an hour. So we're always glad to see good businesses come in here and bring in good jobs. And, of course, it looks like TTI is making plans to expand yet again. So I'll have the news on that when they give us the details. Also, the new Anderson Institute of Technology is named the new director, Bob Couch, who has deep experience in technology education. 
statewide and he's coming up here from Lexington. He looks like an excellent leader for this new facility, which will serve Anderson County School Districts 3, 4, and 5 for technology education and be career center sort of thing. And it will open, right now it's scheduled to open in August of 2019. So that'll be a good thing for the community. Also this week, the Downtown Block Party made its cool, windy debut for 2017. Really nice night. Uh, it was a little windy, so you weren't able to put the banners up, but other than that, it went great. If you haven't been to a Downtown Thursday Block Party at the Carolina Wren Park, I, I don't know where you've been, but you are missing some fun. Great chance to meet your neighbors and just a real important thing for our community to have some place to get out and get together and enjoy. Didn't cost anything. So drop by there next week on Thursday night and put a little something extra in the bucket when it's passed around because it is all done by volunteers. Do remember that entire series of block parties is almost entirely the work of Kerry Jones and all the hard work he's done downtown. And he is a volunteer. He didn't get paid to do that. So as always, we huge kudos to Kerry and the work and the passion he always has for this community. And while you're downtown, visit Sullivan's Metropolitan Grill. Listen, they're, they're my sponsor for this podcast and have been since the very beginning. And I, I want to say it doesn't get any better eating than Sullivan's Metropolitan Grill and also Sullivan's Caters, Anderson's finest food dining establishment for special occasions, dinner, lunch, and more. And also that same food can be catered for your special events. You know, Sullivan's been listed as one of the top 100 restaurants in the United States, one of only two in South Carolina to grab this honor. And they've been featured many times in Southern Living, numerous culinary magazines, and actually on the front page of the Wall Street Journal, How to Do It Right. Remember, Bill Nickus and his wife Sabre took a chance when they opened Sullivan's in downtown Anderson about 20 years ago. We owe them a huge debt of thanks since their risk sort of kicked off the renaissance of downtown. They also offer that catering at rates that's very competitive, much better. I've talked to several people and they were just stunned at how cheap their catering rates were compared to some of the small operations that didn't offer nearly the service or the food. You can visit their Facebook page for their restaurant, Sullivan'sMetroGrill.com, or you can visit Sullivan'sCaters.com for information on their catering. You can have that same great Sullivan's Metropolitan food for your wedding, family reunion, party, corporate event, just by checking Sullivan's Caters. Both of those also have great web uh, Facebook pages as well that are kept up to date all the time. So check them out, Sullivan's, and tell them you heard about it right here on the Anderson Observer Podcast, news from people you trust. Another thing this week I just wanted to mention, uh, not exactly local, except the fact that everyone in Anderson County has at some point seen Don Rickles on television or in the movies. If you missed his appearances on Johnny Carson, David Letterman, the Dean Martin Roast, you did miss something very unique, something very special. And a lot of people don't know he was auditioned to become Andy Griffith's deputy uh, after Don Knotts left the show to make movies. So if you missed it, the audition was an episode called The Luck of Newton Monroe. And thank God he did not get the job. Nobody wants to see Don Rickles as Barney Fife. Well, maybe for one episode. Mayberry was not ready for Don Rickles. But he was a true one-of-a-kind who absolutely cannot be replaced, and we will miss you, you hockey puck. Okay, the most important thing I can say in this week's podcast, if you've barely been listening to this point, time to wake up and pay attention. I can sum it up in a single word. Vote. It is crucial you get out and vote. Tuesday is the GOC, GOP primary, which is the de facto election to fill the South Carolina Senate District 3 seat, left vacant when Kevin Bryant ascended the lieutenant governor's position. It's going to be held Tuesday. That's right, it's Tuesday. And special elections are notorious for low voter turnout, and the primaries for special elections are even more notorious to, for being voter challenged. So with spring break going on and a lot of people out of town, it's crucial for our citizens to show up and to choose a new state senator, a very important position for Anderson County to have someone in power in Columbia looking after not only the whole state, but the interests of Anderson County. There are seven candidates vying for this seat, 
and four of them responded to uh, our request from the Anderson Observer podcast, News from People You Trust, when asked for a brief interview. Uh, put out a feeler a few weeks ago, gave everybody plenty of time, tried to work with schedules so we could do phone interviews with each of them. But the four that did uh, agree to interviews uh, in alphabetical order are Dean Allen, Corey Bott, Carol Burdett, and James Gagan. And I ask each of these candidates the same exact questions uh, to give voters a flavor of the candidate's goals for the office and the reasons why they're running. And here's what they had to say, starting in alphabetical order with Dean Allen. Okay, um, the first thing I was going to ask you is um, not just this race, but how did you become, first become interested in politics in general? Well, my mother was involved in the Republican Party for many years. She was president of the Federation of Republican Women in Galveston County, Texas, back in 59 and 60. She went all over South Texas making speeches to tell the ladies why they should vote for Nixon instead of Kennedy for president. And I was about nine years old, and I had a choice. I could put on church clothes and go listen to Mama talk to the ladies about Nixon, or I could put on work clothes and go to the garden and get out and sweaty with my daddy. And I went into politics. <laughs> so you've been you've had an interest in politics for many years. It's fascinated me. I was the youth chairman for Barry Goldwater in Galveston County, Texas. I ran Ronald Reagan's get out the vote operation in eighty and eighty four. Uh, President Eisenhower and President Nixon both carried Texas twice. Neither one of them ever won Galveston County. It was a labor union stronghold, all those oil refineries down there and the OCAW. We worked hard on the telephones for Ronald Reagan, and we carried Galveston County. So I've been involved in the Republican Party and conservative um, pretty much all my life except for when I was on active duty in the Army for four years. Well, what made you decide to run for this Senate seat? Well, a couple of things. Um, The legislature, in its infinite wisdom, has gone totally crazy and decided they want to raise the gasoline tax by 76% and phasing it in over the next five years. Uh, And that's just a... Bad, bad, bad idea on so many levels. Uh, start with half the money from gas taxes doesn't go to fix roads. It goes for other things. We're uh, planting flowers and landscaping and building bike trails and studying mass transit and high-speed rail systems and doing everything in the world except what the people want done, which is fix the roads. Uh, the state transportation department, is a fiefdom run by the Speaker of the House and the President Pro Tem of the Senate and their cronies and buddies. And one senator in particular has funneled, I'm told, $300 million to a company controlled by his own family. Uh, and it's not illegal, but I think it ought to be. Uh, so bottom line is we're wasting the taxpayers' money putting raising taxes and putting more money into a broken system with no transit and no accountability is not going to give the people better roads. So I was already upset and angry about the system at the Department of Transportation and all the corruption and the lack of accountability. 
And like most people in South Carolina, I'm a little frustrated, particularly here in the upstate, that we aren't maintaining roads as we should be. I mean, you know, go to North Carolina and Tennessee, and you notice you're driving on better roads. You don't think about it until you come home and see ours. And then when Kevin Bryant became the lieutenant governor, there were two things there that appealed to me. First of all, uh, why didn't Hugh Leatherman choose to become lieutenant governor? The state constitution says the president pro tem will move up and automatically become lieutenant governor. Uh, He chose to step aside and let someone else do that because he serves on all these boards. He controls the state transportation infrastructure bank that issues the bonds and decides how the money gets spent. He's chairman of the finance committee. He appoints members of various boards and commission. And he understood that he had a lot more power and he could put a lot more of the people's money in his own pocket uh, by remaining right where he is and becoming lieutenant governor and putting on a purple choir robe and having a nice title. So uh, that kind of hacked me off a little bit. And our senator, uh, Kevin Bryant, nice guy, went up and became the lieutenant governor, creating a vacancy here. So since there was an open seat, you know, I'm not challenging any particular senator. I would have never ran against Kevin Bryant. Uh, But it was an open seat. It was an opportunity. I've been involved in the party. Uh, You know, a couple of these people are out here running in this same race as Republicans served in the legislature years ago as Democrats. So when I was helping make Ronald Reagan president of the United States, they were working to push the agenda of the Democrat Party. And I'm an actual Republican. I'm an actual conservative. I'm a businessman, not a politician. And I said, you know, I've got the background. I've got the experience. I've got the knowledge. I've got the passion to go down to Columbia and represent the people, represent the guy that works for a living and has to pay these taxes. So uh, I chose to get in the race. Well, you started sort of answering my next question, too, about what makes you the most qualified to serve among this current field uh, running for this seat? Well, other than the fact that uh, some of them aren't uh, as conservative as the people in the district and haven't really been involved in the party the way I have, and therefore wouldn't be uh, actually, you know, if you elect somebody to public office as a Republican, they ought to support the Republican Party platform. And as a member of a legislative body, they ought to work to enact laws that reflect what's in our platform. Uh, We're pro-life. We defend the Second Amendment. We try to keep taxes down. We want a pro-business environment. I can go on and on and on. If you can't trust that somebody will do that, that's a problem to me. But um, and, you know, I've gotten to know the other seven people in this race because we go to forums together and we bump into each other campaigning and we'll pass one another in a restaurant uh, when some interest group is interviewing us one at a time. Uh, every single one of them is a nice person. They all bring good qualities to the table. No, you know, nobody's incompetent, nobody's evil, but we have a, a different view on how best to do the job 
And, and again, I'll give you an example. I talk about being a businessman, not a politician. And I talked about our highway system. We have 11 uh, welcome centers and rest areas on the interstate highways in South Carolina. We spend money to cut the grass, to pay the employees, to build the buildings. And the only thing the traveling public gets out of that in most cases is a uh, reasonably clean bathroom and a vending machine locked up behind iron bars. Now, we could go out and um, auction off to the highest bidder the ability to put some sort of a business in there, like a fast food operation or a truck stop or a convenience store, and have a private business concern that was in there improving the grounds, paying the employees, cutting the grass, maintaining the security, doing everything. And what have we done? We've taken some that cost the taxpayers money right now and turned it into something that could make the taxpayers millions of dollars and provide the traveling public with something more than just a bathroom and a vending machine. So I think it's the old idea to think outside the box and look at things with fresh eyes. And too many people in politics want to just say, well, if there's a problem, uh, we spend more money on it. And if there's not enough money, we raise taxes. There are ways to make money other than raising taxes, and there are ways to be more efficient in the way you do things. And that's that's what I bring to the table. So, you know, I actually like most of the people who are also seeking this seat. People ask me, they say, Dean, who are you running against? I say, well, I'm running against a certain state senator down in Florence, if you all know the truth. <laughs> um, but I do believe I am the best person to do this. For one reason, I will be reliably a passionate conservative, and I will go down there and defend the interest of the people. You know, I've got a concealed weapons permit. Most of the time, you may not know it, but I've usually got a pistol in my pocket unless I'm in some place where the law doesn't allow that. Nobody's going to fight harder for the Second Amendment. Nobody's any more pro-life than I am. Nobody's any more concerned with keeping down taxes and regulation being as simplified as possible and having a pro-business environment. So, um, and you know, Several of those other people are, are nice, decent people who do have good backgrounds. I'm not angry at anyone. I didn't have any idea who else would be my competitors. And I didn't know six of the seven before this election started. So my, my thing is I want to be your senator and represent you, and I will promise to be conservative, to be passionate, to listen to you, and then go to Columbia and be your voice. And that's what I bring to the table. You get to choose. <laughs> What's the greatest challenge facing the state of South Carolina in the next 10 years? The greatest challenge? Hmm, I think we've actually got a number of them, but our, our educational system is failing worse than our roads are, and that's the biggest item in our budget. So one of the things I'd like to see I'd like to see parents have more choices about where and how their children are educated. Um, that's important. You know, education prepares you for success in life. Uh, politicians and the people in the education bureaucracy in the public schools don't understand that a one-size-fits-all thing just doesn't work. Students are different. Children are different. 
I have two sons. One of mine, uh, I kept in the public schools. He thrived and did well in life. Uh, I had my other son didn't uh, fit well in the public schools. He had a very high IQ, and um, he got himself into disciplinary problems because he was bored. I pulled him out of the public school and homeschooled him for a few years. He's done well in life, too, and been successful. There's not a one-size-fits-all. I'd like to see us have uh, the option of homeschooling, the option of charter schools or religious schools, and the funding ought to go to wherever the students go, and the parents ought to make that decision rather than politicians and bureaucrats. Uh, other than the um, educational system being subpar, we, um, we do need to continue to grow the economy because uh, every time someone wants to raise taxes, they're saying, well, there's not enough money for something. If you go back and look, whether it's the gasoline tax or anything else, as the population expands, as commerce expands, as there's more business going on, taxes take in more money without raising rates. Ronald Reagan used to say a rising tide lifts all boats. So we need we need economic policies that promote growth and are pro-business because that's what creates jobs for people, and that's what allows us to not have to raise taxes all the time. And I guess the last question here is, how would you, if you were elected, how would you balance the needs of your district versus the statewide goals and needs? How would I balance ours versus the state? Um, I don't know that in most instances there would be any conflict other than what we've been talking about with the roads. Right now the problem we've got is populous areas like the upstate and like Columbia paying more taxes and they've got a formula for distributing the road repair money that gives it out based on uh, how many miles of roads there are in the county. Well, we've got a bunch of rural counties in this state with a lot of miles of roads that are very lightly traveled and don't need as much maintenance as the roads in our upstate and in our major cities do. So I think we do need a formula for things like that where the money gets spent the same place it's raised. I'd like us to look at something like uh, when we do allocate money from gasoline taxes to fixing roads, uh, isn't that an innovative idea? Why don't we have that money spent in the same county where it was raised? Uh, and that would be the fairest thing across the board. So you don't have to sit down and say, how much do you get in Dorchester County or Lee County or um, any of the other 46? You look at the money that came in, and that's what they've got to spend on roads in that area. So other than the idea that I just think things should be fair across the board to the whole state, and right now that's not the case, uh, I don't see a lot of other conflicts. You know, um, have I answered your question, or did you have something else in mind? No, I just wondered, uh, I mean, you mentioned that, and, the, you know, the, the roads thing does keep coming up because there do seem to be certain senators who are very territorial about their part of the state, and even if it means sort of pulling some fast and loose ones on the rest of the state to get things done in their areas. That's the reason I asked that question. 
Yeah, and see, I don't want to uh, sit here and say, well, I'm going to go down and play the same game, and I'm going to do that for Anderson County, and boys like me, I'll bring on the bacon. That system is what's wrong. That's what's corrupt. That's what's broken. That's what, uh, you know, instead of saying, well, they're screwing over us, so we'll screw over them, why don't we change the system and say we're going to do something that's fair, and you've got to reform the Department of Transportation. Yeah, and there's only two ways to do it. You either make it an executive agency under the governor where a man elected statewide or a woman, if we get another one, the governor of South Carolina is responsible to the voters, or you put an elected commissioner over. You know, the, the people of South Carolina elect the agriculture commissioner. Now, yes, we've got a few farmers in this state. We've got a few in Anderson County. But the vast majority of the people of South Carolina live in big cities and uh, don't know a thing in the world about farms except if they visit one, they got to be careful where they step. But they vote on the commissioner of agriculture. Well, we all drive on the roads. Why in the world couldn't we vote on uh, who runs the Department of Transportation? And why couldn't we have an outside audit and transparency about where our money goes and how it's spent? These are these are common sense things. You know, I'm not trying to take something away from people down at the beach or 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 buy into this idea we'll take from this group of people and give to that one. That's the way the other party thinks. We're supposed to do things that are good for everybody. And when we do what's good for everybody in South Carolina, that includes all of my neighbors right here in Anderson County that I'm asking to vote for me. Well, Mr. Allen, I appreciate your time. And uh, as always, we've always thanked everybody who's stepped up to try to do something to make our community and our state better. And we do appreciate those of you who are running and um, hope everybody will get out and vote on the primary on primary day. And uh, thanks again for taking time to talk. Yes, sir. You're providing a public service there to hear from all of us, and I appreciate that. And the next can candidate for South Carolina Senate District 3 uh, seat is Corey Bott. First question, um, when did you first become interested in politics? Wow, that's a good question. Um, I, I was interested a little bit in my youth, um, I, I guess, I watched some of the, uh, the the early news stations in my early 20s, but uh, really when when I, I got involved in the military, it, it started to influence my life a little bit more, at least in a manner that I could see it, and I started to pay a little bit more attention then, but I never really got active from the standpoint of campaigning for somebody until really like the last four or five years. Um, uh, what I've seen you know, in recent times... I felt like there was kind of an onslaught against Christianity. So one of the first things um, my wife and I decided to do, you know, we've always been very private, and you've probably noticed that through this campaign. There's not a lot out there about me. Um, we started saying our, our, our prayers in public before our meals. You know, we do it at home, so we just kind of felt like that was part of our little resistance to, the, to some of the political regime of, of, you know, not allowing people freedom of expression. And being someone who said I do to the Constitution as many times as I have, I take it dearly to heart that individual freedom and individual liberty is really, you know, the primary thing that binds us all together. Well, why did you decide to run for this Senate seat? 
Now that's an even more interesting <laughs> answer. Uh, actually, we had talked when it first it was apparent that the thing was coming open. You know, I mentioned it to my wife, and we both agreed there was no way we had time to do this. You know, and and, and uh, it just wasn't even. It didn't seem logical. I am truly an outsider, and you know, most things in business, you know, you go along to get along. So you know, I've always wherever I've been, you know, I've chosen mentors and. and taking their advice and worked inside of, you know, what they thought was the best route for me in business. But I just felt, and I still feel that we're in a critical time. And on literally on the last day on February 21st, you know, I made a call to my wife and I said, you know, I said, I just feel like we're supposed to do this. And she said, well, honey, she said, you know, we do have a nine-month-old, so we're really not going to have time till 2036. And I said, you know, and I don't <laughs> think the country's got time, time for us to wait till 2036. And I just felt like I had a message that I wasn't seeing from the other people I thought were getting in the race. Um, some of the people that said they were getting in didn't get in. And uh, I really thought that the message I'm bringing needed to get out there. And, and, and really, originally, for me, it was really about just standing up for what I believed and, and getting that message out and and it's been we've got so much support now and i'm not taking donations um i'm running this campaign on a bare bones budget i've still managed to stay under a thousand dollars and we're seeing enormous support um lots and lots of uh, activity on my website i use a program called google analytics and i use it for free um so so i'm seeing data 48 hours in arrears but i'm not paying anything for it and the, the the amount of new hits and then what's happened in the last week or so, I'm up to a 40% return rate. And that usually is indicative of people that are actually considering voting for you. So it's really impressive that we're getting thousands of new hits and that much return rate. Well, what makes you the most qualified to serve among the current field of candidates? Yeah, in a lot of ways, that's a, that's a, that's a that's a dual-headed question. I think a lot of the candidates have strong points that they're more qualified in their specific area. Um, you know, you really have six people that are more career-oriented oriented politicians, and only a couple of us are really more on the business side, or, or you know, like my my background, having worked in the federal government but in the military. So you know, I've seen budgeting. Um, firsthand at the Pentagon when I worked there, I was a mid-level officer and I worked on a couple budgets. And I think what I bring is I have built a small business. I do understand what the regulatory issues that hold us back. I do understand the, the tax burdens and the paperwork burdens, especially on small businesses. I mean, you have the choice of you either pay an accountant to do a lot of the paperwork for you, which, you know, that's, that's taken out of your bottom line, or you spend an enormity of time understanding the rules and then doing the paperwork yourself. Um, and then the other side of that question is, what don't I bring? Well, I don't bring the baggage of having a political career. I'm beholden to no one. And, and that might scare a few people because, you know, a lot of people might want to have some control over, over their, their senator. But I think to me it's about having the right morality, having the right message, and knowing that your person that you're elected is going to have the integrity to do what they said they're going to do, or at least make the darndest attempt at it. And, and uh, that's what I think I bring as an outsider that, like I said, 
each one of the candidates have one area or two areas where they're absolute experts, and I would I would never try to contest them in their area. I just think I bring a broader package and, and a more fuller um, candidate than most of uh, my competitors. What do you think are the greatest challenges facing the state of South Carolina in the next 10 years? I think it's all budget, and, and I, I state it over and over again. If we don't if we are not able to get our budget under control, if we are not able to start managing our finances like you would in any, any business or even a small government, you know, what, what's unique about state and federal governments is they think they can just continue to go to the piggy bank, tax more, and then bond everything out. It seems like the local governments are more beholden to the people because they're more of our neighbors, so to say. You know, a lot of folks, once they go off to Columbia or go off to, to uh, D.C., you know, you, you don't necessarily see a lot out of them after that. And the problem with the budgeting at those levels is the amount of debt. When we're talking billions and then federal level trillions, I mean, most people don't know how to make a million dollars, let alone those levels. And yet our politicians, it just seems so easy for those, those numbers to roll off their tongues because it's other folks' money. <laughs> and, and, and we can argue about every other issue under the sun, but at the end of the day, if we don't get the money right, you know, I just don't, I think we're headed for, for some really hard times and stuff that this country hadn't seen, you know, in almost 100 years. And having been around the world, I've seen the darkness. I've seen what it looks like when you have an anarchist state. We, we actually did an embassy evacuation in Albania in 1996. I mean, Albania was a poor country before that whole thing started, but literally within weeks, because people's retirements were failing, the whole country went into anarchy. And that, I mean, that is a horrible thing to witness. And, and you see people literally fleeing their nation and risking their life on, on boats that were not seaworthy, and, and here they are 20 miles out at sea. I mean, you know things get bad if you're doing something like that. And I just think that we've had it so well in this country and, and just taken for granted that we can just keep borrowing money and borrowing money that we just don't realize how bad things can get if we don't get this beast under control. Uh, finally, uh, how would you balance the needs of your district versus uh, statewide goals and needs? That's, that's really probably uh, one of the issues where I guess if you were, you were, I know you were at the, the first uh, debate. What I said that my whole point in this campaign is to go out and meet people, shake hands, and try to let them get to know me. So I got to do a lot of talking right now. Um, once you elect me, it's a reverse. So at that point, I have to make myself more available to listen. And I got to really learn more about what people, you know, it, what, what's really hurting folks. And, and, you know, my experience in small business, I understand that. And, and and my experience literally building myself up from dollar one, I can understand the plight of folks that are, you know, they're, they're right on the edge. You know, they're making thirty or $40,000 as a couple both working. They got kids in school and they're just barely getting by. And so I would focus my local efforts on that. You know, how are we going to help those folks? How are we going to encourage them to keep in the game? Because a lot of the, the, the uh, systems that we've created as safety nets, we're propping people that aren't in the game almost to their level. And that's just, that's, that's not only not fair, it's not fair to either group. 
you know, if, if you're giving one group of folks a bunch of money and, and, and then the other folks are struggling constantly and they're, they're, they're living in the same, <laughs> you know, the same, same price range on everything, you know, something's wrong there. And, and we're failing, you know, both sides of, of that coin because we're not really helping anyone get to the next level. And, and that, to me, used to in this country, it seems like everybody resided close to the middle class. And really, nowadays, we've, we've, it's separated, you know, and it, it, even to the point where folks don't necessarily send their kids to the same schools. You know, I'm not that old, and I still remember when I was growing up, it seemed like everybody was pretty similar. You know, the rich folks hung out with the poor folks, and everybody got along, and 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 and, and the communities were tight. And so, having lived all around the southeast, I can tell you that Anderson's still close to that. But you see the separation, and you see the gated communities. And I just, I'd love to see us start bringing people up a little bit more and helping them out to get it to to where we're more you know, supporting the middle class and, and, uh, you know, helping the folks that, like I said, are hanging out on the edge there. I don't know. Did I answer your question? Chris? Yeah, I, I think you did. I think you did. Well, I appreciate okay. you taking time and I know you got a lot to do today, but, uh, thanks for checking in and we'll, uh, we'll hope everybody gets out, out to vote. We want to see a good turnout for this special election. And, um, we're wishing that everybody does get out because these things generally have a very low turnout. So I would really like to see people get out and vote. Yes, sir. I agree with you. I thank you for your time. Please, uh, everybody go to CoreyBot.com and check out all the candidates. You know, get to know us all a little bit more. A lot of the names you already know. Some of them are your friends. And uh, like like uh, Mr. Wilson said, uh, I do want your vote. But even if you're not voting for me, go out and vote. We've got to get turnout in these things. Four or five percent of the population shouldn't be elected our leaders. I agree. The next candidate is Carol Burdett. When did you become inter- first become interested in politics, Carol? Well, in 1987, I was uh, asked uh, by some folks in the town of Pendleton to run for town council. I was 27 years old and not didn't know a lot about government at all, but uh, was told, oh, no one else is running, so if you run, you'll get elected. Well, that didn't happen just that way. Someone else did decide to run. And I uh, found myself not knowing very much about campaigning, but walked to every door in the town of Pendleton, 1,400, and won that election by five votes. I learned, one, that every vote counts, and two, when I got into office, I wanted to know everything there was to know about how to best serve the citizens of the town of Pendleton. And you went from there to, to run for mayor, right? Yes. A decade later, I was elected mayor and served for 12 years. And again, my goal was to be the very best mayor uh, that Tunnel Pendleton had ever had. And that was because I wanted the citizens uh, to have uh, the best town possible and that we could do things that would make them proud of living there and that would uh, provide them with an excellent quality of life. And what made you decide to run for this Senate seat? I know you're the only of the candidates who ran for it back last year, but what made you decide to run for this Senate seat? Well, I had been talking about running for state Senate for a number of years, and last year when I decided to challenge uh, Senator Bryant, 
Uh, it really was because I felt like that uh, people deserved to have a senator who was willing to roll up their sleeves, work side by side with them, willing to listen to them, willing to carry their voice to Columbia. And I, I, I sincerely believe the only way you can do that is being out with the citizens, being at events, uh, working with them, volunteering beside them. And I just didn't see that happening. So uh, that was why I challenged him. And obviously, being that I got uh, within uh, less than 400 votes of defeating him when the seat became an open seat, uh, it was just a natural that I would uh, run again. What do you think makes you most qualified among the current field of candidates for this Senate seat? Well, I think there are a lot of different things. One is uh, just the sheer fact that I have been uh, working uh, on the ground in uh, local government in uh, a tremendous number of volunteer efforts uh, and my work at United Way. I know a great deal about what goes on in the community, the issues of the community, and I feel that I'm a problem solver. I have worked to uh, solve problems in every one of those avenues for the last 30 years, and I think that I have the ability to go to Columbia, uh, take what I know from what's happening on the ground, and uh, share a voice for the citizens of, of Anderson County. And I, I really do believe in my heart of hearts that I can make the biggest difference of any of the folks that are running and that I will involve the people that live here and we'll bring them together. We'll uh, have opportunities for them to uh, give me their input, whether it's at town hall meetings or around uh, citizens' kitchen tables. And what do you think is the greatest challenge facing the state of South Carolina in the next 10 years? Well, I really don't think you can put it as one challenge. I think one of the greatest challenges is that we've got to figure out how to fix our roads. And I think that we can um, – I, I, I don't want to raise taxes. I think it's a last resort. But I, th I don't think we can keep kicking the, the, the can down the road. And we have to figure out – I think the people want to uh, – they don't want to keep hearing that it's got to be reformed. It does need to be reformed, and politics needs to be taken out of the plan of action. But I think people are wanting that to happen. They want to see uh, the Senate and the House working together for, in their best interest. And how would you balance the needs of your district here to the, versus the statewide goals and needs? Well, I think you, as a senator for a particular area, you want to make sure that you're looking out uh, for your people. But at the same time, I think that you have to be cognizant of uh, where are the greatest needs. And I, I think, going back to the roads, that the plan of action needs to look at the big picture. Where are the greatest needs? How do we work through a plan that would take care of those greatest needs, moving down um, a list, a priority list, but not based on politics? And the final candidate who responded to requests for our interview was James Gallion. The first one is, uh, when, when did you become in, interested in politics? Oh, gosh. I became interested in politics uh, probably really as um, when I was in law school. Uh, I, I had a friend of mine who was the law clerk for 
Governor David Beasley, and he was leaving that position. And so I said, you know, he said, are you interested in it? And I said, sure. Uh, and so he said, I'm, I'm setting up some interviews. And so I interviewed uh, with a gentleman who's now a good friend of mine. His name's Henry Deneen, and he was a chief legal counsel for the governor at the time. And so I interviewed with him and was kind of thinking it would be more of a legal job, and it turned out to be obviously more political because that office also handled all the legislative interaction with uh, the Senate and the House in the General Assembly. And so I ended up working a lot on legislation, really enjoyed it, uh, was in the nuts and bolts of, of you know, from everything from the budget to uh, adoption procedures, and, and an EPA, there was an EPA challenge at the time. And, and so I really enjoyed just the the scope of the work that you, you were able to do. You weren't pigeonholed into one thing. And so uh, kind of used the connections that, that I made there to get a job at the South Carolina Supreme Court. And then when I got married, when we moved to D.C., uh, was able to use uh, some, I knew some folks in Senator Thurman's office and I was able to get a job on the Hill and I was, that was kind of my path. So, but that's, I also um, just helped Republican candidates when I was younger. My my father was very interested in politics. And so when I was 14 and 15, I was, <laughs> I was actually walking neighborhoods, you know, doing lit drops for uh, some South Carolina Senate Republican candidates even back then. So, uh, I was on the periphery when I was younger and then really got in uh, deeper when I was uh, in law, after law school. Why did you decide to run for this Senate seat this time? Well, I, I took a look at – I supported Kevin Bryant in the last uh, election cycle, uh, raised him some money, um, did everything we could to, to help him with his uh, reelection, and um, knew that, that, that the, the, his opposition in that race – was going to run again, heard who some of the other folks were that were thinking about running and, and said, well, can I vote for any of them? And the answer was, no, I think I'd rather have another choice. And so I realized a lot of people may feel that way. And, and so I said, well, you know, I've, I've definitely got the, I've got the tools to be a good Senator immediately out of the gate with my experience. And I know that this is kind of a, this is just a good time for states to reassert themselves against the federal government with all the federal overreach, we, overreach we've seen in the last several years and, and last couple of decades even, really. And so I wanted to work on those issues, and, 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 and thankfully it was only a two-month cycle, and I said, well, I can do that while you know, maintaining my day job. Yeah, that's, that cycle something. What makes you the most qualified to serve among the current field of candidates? Well, I, I mean, I know there's a couple of folks that have served as state legislators before, but I've got, I think I've probably got more actual days on legislative tasks than both of them put together, uh, just because, you know, the General Assembly is a part-time legislature, and they were both in the House, and so you have very minimal, uh, sometimes legislative uh I guess, influence in the House. And so I spent eight years almost on Capitol Hill working for uh, the Senate Judiciary Committee. And so, you know, day in and day out, all year, sometimes 16-hour days, you're writing legislation, working to pass it, uh, fighting off, you know, poison pill amendments, that kind of thing. And so there's, I've seen every strategy. I've seen every lie. I've seen every way you can use an amendment to kill a bill. Uh, you can look like you're supporting a bill and still really kill it. And I've seen how they use committee assignments to kill bills or to promote them. And and uh, so there, there's there's really just that that body of of experience. But then also, I mean, 
I'm an attorney, and so I've worked in the regulatory compliance area for a number of years, and I understand that there's a whole lot more that goes into how legislation is enforced and actually affects your average person than just the, the words on the page. And so even the smartest guy that's you know running for this seat, if he doesn't have that kind of background, he's, he's going to be a disadvantage for a number of years and, and maybe permanently. And so I think that, that my particular skill set is well suited to, um, to operating in the Senate and, and probably the best suited out of, out of the group. So that's why I would say sets me apart. What's the greatest challenge facing the state of South Carolina in the next 10 years? Right now, the greatest challenge facing uh, South Carolina in the next 10 years is our pension system. And there's, there's no doubt. Part of the problem is national and part of it's state. As a nation, we've used up our margin for error. Uh, we added $10 trillion of debt in, in a little over 10 years. And so, you know, states in the past have, have kind of always assumed that the federal government could step in and bail them out. I'm not, I'm not convinced at all that that's going to be possible even uh, in the next several years. You're, you're looking at, I think the low estimates are $20 billion in, in the red for the pension system. The high estimates are 45. I think we, we, we really need to be honest with ourselves about what the rate of return from equities is going to be over the next 10 years. And I think we need to be honest with the people that we've made promises to about, about how deeply uh, flawed the, the pension systems operations have been over the last 10 years and, and just be honest with them about what it's going to take to fix it. And we need to be honest with the taxpayers too, because we have made promises to those people and we have to keep them because they've, they've ordered their lives based on that. So I think that's probably the biggest thing. And I think, I think a corollary issue to that is our business climate in the state. And, Cause I don't think we're going to be able to just tax our way out of the pension problem. We're going to have to grow our way out of it. And so those two are kind of intertwined in my mind. And we, we definitely need to reform all of our state agencies uh, over the next five years or so to make them more business friendly and, and, and allow folks to come here and, and uh, start and grow their businesses and, and, and contribute to the, the tax base that's going to need be needed to, to fix the pension system. And finally, James, how would you balance the needs of your district versus statewide goals and needs? Well, I mean, there uh, these days I think people have a more sophisticated understanding of of how their, both their state government and their national government works. I mean, people, I mean, you've seen this with Ted Cruz in Texas, where he gets donations from people nationwide. Right for his Senate race in Texas, they understand that you need someone championing your beliefs in whatever government body it is. And so I think that a lot of the same things that are good for Anderson are also good because they're just they're just the right way to do things. And so the the things that are good for the state are also good for Anderson. Now, with regarding if there's a particular issue uh, like water rights or uh, transportation dollars or something like that, then that's not where it's not necessarily uh, a – maybe it's like you know, a finite pie of resources, well, then you got to get in there and fight for your, your local community because, I mean, Anderson's a growing community. It's on 85. It's clearly going to be, going to be one of the drivers of economic growth in South Carolina. So I think you can – you know, it's, it's, uh, it's perfectly justifiable to fight for resources that ultimately will benefit the entire state if they come to Anderson. 
I want to say thanks again for those candidates who did take time out of busy campaign schedules to talk to the Anderson Observer podcast. Uh, There will almost certainly be a runoff in this election, so stay tuned. I am not endorsing any candidate in this race, but I am issuing a call and a challenge to everyone listening to get out and vote. If you don't vote, I have little interest in your opinions on state government or anything else because you're not part of the process. You are a lazy citizen. There should be a no vacancy sign hanging up for those who complain but don't vote or do anything else to make Anderson a better place because those barns are full of complacency. So in, in the past couple of weeks, we've had some shining examples of those who give them their own time and resources to do just that. And these are our friends and neighbors who always deserve notice and praise. Uh, I mentioned Carrie Jones and I mentioned Angie Stringer when I talked to her and also Julia Woodson and the amazing work she's done to transform Kid Venture Playground at the Civic Center is one great example of that kind of volunteer effort. In 18 months as a volunteer, she's transformed that rickety old wooden structure full of splinters and broken things and danger to a clean, accessible, modern playground for kids. And last weekend's workday was amazing. Just hundreds of people showed up. You can still help. Visit the Facebook page for KidVenture 2.0 find out how you can help. And, of course, those who lead our charitable organizations, Christy King Brock at AIM and Lori Ashley Mills on Wheels and the others, could use volunteers and those willing to donate money to keep going as spring moves towards summer. There's a lot of needs as they're getting ready for the busy time of year when school lets out. And I spent the better part of the last week driving hundreds of miles around Anderson County, and it reminded me what a beautiful, wonderful place we have to call home. And we have a lot of folks who appreciate this and are working together to make it even better. And I hope uh, everybody listening will join them. This week, you can make a difference by voting and by choosing one thing that you will do to make Anderson County a better place. The options are many, so the choice is yours. And that's it for this week's Anderson Observer Podcast, news from people you trust. Next week, I have a surprise guest, and we'll also talk to the runoff candidates from the Tuesday. That's right. Get out Tuesday and vote. GOP primary for the South Carolina Senate District 3 seat. And I also will have a special update and some surprises on the Anderson County roads on next week's Anderson Observer Podcast, news from people you trust. I hope you'll join me then. But until then, get out and do something to make Anderson a better place.